Welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with trendsetters who are leading innovation in public safety and expert advice on growing your own post-law enforcement business. And now, your host, Adam Wills. Hi, I'm Adam Wills, career cop and agency administrator turned CEO of my own successful marketing agency. As a cop, I was relentlessly opposed to the phrase, that's the way we've always done it. And that mindset is a significant part of what I attribute the success of my business to. And that's exactly why I created this podcast. If you are a public safety professional, this podcast is going to be an excellent resource for you to hear about the latest technology and training concepts. And if you are a cop who has ever considered taking the journey from cop to copreneur, you are going to get inspired and hear actionable steps you can take to get on track with your own business. Either way, if you're as anti-status quo as I am, you are in the right place. So let's get after it. Welcome to episode 31 of the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Today we are going to talk about a groundbreaking technology that creates a seamless connection between critical infrastructure and public safety. Imagine with me for a second, a scenario where a critical incident occurs inside a large office building. Before the caller can even finish giving their information to dispatch, you have an exact location of the incident, maps of the building, access to monitor security cameras, and the ability to remotely lock and unlock doors. Sounds like something that might save a lot of lives and mitigate risks encountered by first responders, doesn't it? 911 Inform is the first technology of its kind to do exactly that and more for businesses, schools, event venues, hotels, hospitals, and many others. Best of all, it's free for your agency and dispatch center to access and use. All right. Let's find out more during this engaging interview with Ivo Allen, CEO and founder of 911 Inform. Welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Today we have Ivo Allen from 911 Inform on the show. Ivo, welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on. You are with 911 Inform, not to be confused, by the way, with a past podcast guest, uh, Live 911. So we want to make sure we draw that distinction. Um, but we're going to talk uh, about 911 Inform and the awesome technology you guys have uh, for protecting enterprise businesses, large business locations, things like that. Why don't you tell me more about the problem you guys are solving at 911 Inform? So uh, 911 Inform is an overlying layer to the existing 911 system. So we provide uh, real-time situational awareness, command and control for police and public safety during an emergency. So essentially, you guys are integrating with the existing hardware technology that is already on these premises, the security cameras, locking mechanisms, that sort of thing, and then creating a seamless integration that allows first responders to be able to 
take command and control over that in order to control the scene a little bit, make a safer scene, or at least have some situational awareness prior to their arrival. Is that right? Yeah. And, and if you think of it, we, we take it a little bit further. So if you look at, let's say, a hotel, for example, if there's an emergency, not only are we showing the police what room it is, what floor, but we're directing them to the quickest access point into that building to get to that hotel room or to that, you know, event. So a, a lot of times, if, you know, if you have a large enterprise, a large building, the front door isn't the quickest way to get to that emergency. Yeah. So we're, our system, our system is saying, okay, what are all the doors that are electronically controlled and what is the quickest way to get to that emergency? And we route the police specifically to that. So if you think of a traditional 911 call where the police are now just getting the address off the Annie Alley and they're showing up the front door, we're directing them through a campus environment to a back door that can be controlled and the quickest way to get to that emergency. So if that's a door, let's say that 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 quickest access point to get to where the location of the incident is, if that door is normally locked most of the time, your system can allow them to override that and and gain access through that door so that they can mitigate whatever the public safety threat is. Absolutely. So through police dispatch at the PSAP or through the MDT in the patrol car or the, the tablet in the, you know, in the ambulance, when they, when they arrive on site, they can basically open that door themselves. So they're not waiting for the, you know, the, the people inside to let them in, they have full access to it. And then if you think of, you know, you have a, a barricade situation or uh, a situation where you have multiple people entering the building simultaneously, we can coordinate that automatically and open all the doors simultaneously. So all the teams can enter the building at the same time. I know SWAT is SWAT. They always want to, you know, breach a door because that's what they're trained to do. But now, you know, we can open the doors for them silently. (laughs) Oh, exactly. (laughs) Um, I would do it too, honestly. But this way they can open all the doors. And then, then also with our technology, you know, dispatch or command and control can actually follow all those members of their teams through that building live using our technology. So they can watch them walk through the building. They don't, they manually don't have to shift between cameras and change views 911 form, we will follow them through the building. So this way, now you have a police dispatcher, they can now see live what's going on. And just think of every emergency that happens every day, someone calls 911. Now, if they call 911 from one of our protected buildings, our system says, okay, this is where the 911 call is happening from. And basically, this is the camera that's covering it. And we're automatically popping up that display. So that dispatcher has a live view of the person they're talking to on the phone automatically. And dispatch doesn't have to do anything. They don't have to log on. They don't have to access the site. Everything's presented to them in seconds. Man, that sounds incredible. So how, I I assume from the sounds of it, this is, you guys are installing your own system on top of what they already have. So are these your, your own cameras and sensors and locking mechanisms, or are you able to tie in with what already exists uh, in some of these buildings? Well, and, and that's the key because there's a lot of companies out there that have innovative technology, but you have to buy their hardware, right? You have you have to buy their cameras, you have to buy their panic buttons, you have to buy their technology. Just think of you know think of a school or a building. They've already spent millions of dollars on infrastructure, and now to make that building safer, they have to spend they have a huge lift forklift in 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 you know replacing equipment they already bought. So you know nine one one form 
our goal is to connect with everything that they already have. So to date, there hasn't been anything other than an analog camera. We can't talk to, you know, the analog cameras it has to be an IP camera. Right. But we've gone, in, you know, we've gone into buildings where they've had, you know, 25 year old carry PXL 500 door access systems and we were able to connect to it. So we manufacture wow. uh, a device. Uh, we have a gateway we have a gateway that goes in and whether it's API controlled or physically controlled or hard connected, we can talk to that. You know, we can actually talk to that device and control it. So the biggest thing for 911 form is whatever that customer has, we will work with it. And, you know, you, you have Alyssa's law that's out now for the schools for panic buttons. I mean, a lot of these schools already have panic buttons from alarm systems. And now everyone else is coming in and saying, okay, well, now you have to have, you, you have to buy all these new panic buttons. Well, with 911 form, we'll connect with the system they already have. They don't have to, you know, they don't have to replace panic buttons. They don't have to replace any of the technology they have. We take the technology they have now. We work with it. We make it accessible to the police and, and situational awareness. We take, get the situational awareness from it. So what um, what exactly is it that Alyssa's law is requiring now? Is that just a new panic button system? Explain explain that to me. Where I'm not I'm not readily familiar with, with uh, what those new challenges are that are presented with uh, Alyssa's law. So Alyssa's law started in New Jersey, uh, our home state. And it's now in Florida and other states are adopting it. So it, it will be a federal law soon. Alyssa's law says that you have to have a panic button in the school that directly alerts the police in the event of an emergency and on-site staff. Now, there's iterations of the law. So when New Jersey first started with Alyssa's law, it had to have the strobes outside. So it had to have a visual indicator uh, of the alerts going in. And, and, and it has changed and it has evolved over time. So, you know, with Alyssa's law, the main thing is the school personnel have to have a panic button, whether it be a physical panic button, a remote panic button, uh, you know, on, on, on the phone or on, you know, a tablet or, you know, another device. So they, they have to be able to hit one button and have direct access to the police, letting the police know and notifying people on staff, on site uh, of the emergency. And then, you know, with our system, when they hit the panic button, for Alyssa's law, based on the SOP, you know, we can we lock the doors, we activate the strobes, we do the broadcast over the public address, we can broadcast over the phones, you know, we can do our, our system does everything automatically based on it. So there's a lot of you know Alyssa's law panic buttons that all they do is that you hit the button and it just alerts police and, and by the letter of the law it works. But you know, with our system, we take it a little bit farther where we go through and whatever that SOP is for that type of emergency we're going to do it automatically. So if they hit a panic button for medical emergency, we'll basically clear the halls. So instead of putting the school on lockdown, we're going to basically put them in a shelter in place, keep keep all the kids in classrooms so the halls are clear so they can get to the medical emergency, notify the police exactly where that medical emergency is, the quickest way to get there. And then we'll basically, you know, show the EMTs on camera access, you know, where they are, how to open doors and that sort of thing. Okay. So I'm curious, how do you, how do you eliminate or I shouldn't say eliminate, cause I don't think that's possible. Uh, how do you mitigate false alarms, false panic buttons? Cause I can tell you when I was with the sheriff's office, we had panic buttons in every one of the <laughs> County offices and throughout the courthouse. And I can't tell you how many times we had to respond to, to, to false panic alarms. And so, uh, I'm just curious, how do you, how do you mitigate that? Is there a, is there a technology solution to that or is it just training? 
Well, you know, anytime you put a button in front of students in a school, it's going to get pushed, right? There's no way around that. They have panic buttons where you, you have the glass covers, you know, and it's, you know, open the glass and push the button, but they still get pushed. You know, you have, you know, you have a high school student and there's a button there. It's just calling them. It's calling to them to push that mm-hmm. button. So, you know, with Alyssa's law, what I like is we put panic buttons on the phone. So they're on the phone handsets. So they're not, they're not directly the, the panic buttons on the wall that are, you know, that a student can come up and push, you know, you can have them under the counters and that sort of thing. But if you think about Alyssa's law, it's designed for public safety and having a button in the main office under the desk it's very rare that that's going to get pushed. I mean, you want one in the nurse's office. You want one in the guidance counselor's office. You want one in the print. You, know, you want to distribute those buttons throughout that building. And by putting the buttons on the phones, one push buttons on the phones, or even you know having codes on the phone, be able to dial star 77 for a medical emergency or you know any type. I mean, that's really is where it's making Alyssa's law effective. Makes sense. So am I understanding correctly then, 911 in form at its core is it's a software solution or kind of a mixture of software and hardware. So it's it's software and hardware. We are hosted in you know AWS GovCloud. Uh, we have a localized gateway device that connects the infrastructure in that building into our AWS GovCloud, and then our then all the alerts and everything are delivered to the PSAP through our partnership with Rapid SOS. So right now we're in 4,900 PSAPs across the country. And our model is, you know, we're free to the police. There's a lot of companies out there that have, you know, a lot of good technology, but they sell it to the end users and they sell it to police. All of our technology, everything that we develop, everything we come up with is always free for police. They can use it. There's no charge for them. There's no charge for training. There's no charge for any of it. It's free. And that's how we get all, you know, that's how we get a lot of take rate from the police on it because a lot of companies are out there and, and they have a great solution, but the police don't have the budgets. Look what's going on with all the budgets that are getting cut to spend money on a new technology, you know, just a lot of times isn't in the, in the cards for them. So we basically, you know, our model is everything that we develop, everything that we do is always free for public safety to use. So who, who becomes your kind of main point of contact then when you guys are reaching out, trying to get businesses or whether it's schools or businesses or whatever it may be to adopt this technology, are you reaching out directly to those, those businesses or are you reaching out to the PSAPs, the law enforcement agencies? Maybe it's all of that to some degree, but what does that model look like for you guys and how you get your, your system integrated into as many locations as possible? Our first point of contact is we always go to the police, you know, we, because the police have our, have access to 911 form already, right? But most of them don't know about it. So we contact the police in, in a given area. We also in that same area, you know, we might have an interest from a school district, from a county or a town, and then they might reach out to us, you know, uh, inquiring about Alyssa's law or, you know, some, some of our safety solutions. And then we go to the police and let them know. So it's, it's really a two tier approach. We go after the businesses, you know, schools are like the, the low hanging fruit of the public safety because there's such an initiative with all this, you know, with the shootings and that sort of thing. So we reach out to the schools, we reach out to both the police and then also, you know, the county officials, you know, the mayors and the towns, 
you know, you think of any, you know, any town that you have a public venue where you have people congregating, our software is designed to protect that environment. So either there really isn't, you know, some, any secret sauce to just one touch point and you automatically get everyone in that area. It's, it's a combination of all of it, you know, reaching out to everybody and, and, and you know, making public awareness in our product. That's, you know, that's the key, letting everybody know what we have, what we can offer and, and how we can protect them. So how many states right now nationwide are you guys actually involved in? Maybe it's all of them. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we launched two years ago, primarily in New Jersey. Okay. And, and, and part of that is we did testing and development for two years in New Jersey and in, in schools before we ever went live. So it was, it was important for us that when we went national, we had every situation accounted for and every possible combination accounted for. So we spent two years going into schools and police departments in New Jersey, and then also in Colorado, in Florida, different agencies talking with them and testing. So we had the product down to, you know, where we, we felt comfortable that we could walk into any situation, any combination of cameras, phone systems, door access systems, fire alarms, that sort of thing, and be able to just be plug and play. With New Jersey, we're in we're probably in about 17 states now that we're working with now, but every day we're getting calls from, you know, all over the country. So there isn't one state that I can say is hasn't reached out to us yet. But I am waiting for that, you know, that call from Hawaii. So anyone that's listening to this podcast in Hawaii <laughs> that wants me to come in and demo 911 and forum, I will be more than happy to do that for you. Yeah, that's something that you're not going to delegate, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I, I, I know <laughs> that a few, a few of my guys would want to do it. Yeah, no. But if no, going into Hawaii, that would be the one place that I would do myself. Get dirty, you know, hands screwdriver, just do it all myself. <laughs> there you go. I can't blame you. Um, so I'm curious. I guess if if I'm understanding correctly, the the bulk of the responsibility and the cost on actually integrating the system is on the business owner or is that is that or in some cases the school or or the local government that's putting it in yeah so a lot of people look at our technology and think it's going to be really expensive and, and it's not we charge an annual fee a subscription fee for our service and then we charge a one-time setup fee we're installed through a var network so we have some of the largest resellers in the country selling and installing our product and, and that was important for us because going into all these different businesses to knock on a door and, and, and get through the gatekeeper, we're just another product. We're like everybody else trying to sell it. Our methodology is we've established a, an extensive VAR network. We've trained them on our product. They're going to their existing clients. They know, you know what is in that building, what they've sold them, the technologies that's in there. So it makes the installations faster. It makes it makes the the deployment, you know, and the, the the customer to adopt our technology much easier because now they're dealing with a vendor that they've already talked to, installed technology, and that vendor understands it, knows everything that's in there. So it, it makes it easier all around. So what is the what's the incentive, I guess, for the business owner? What what do they stand to benefit uh, and gain from this? I mean, outside of the obvious of anything generally safety and security wise is a wise decision, right? Because we want to protect our, our people. We want to protect our visitors. We want to protect our liability. But beyond that, is there anything 
specific, maybe related to the technology itself and advantages that they have to using a system like this to give them even greater awareness as a business owner? Well, I mean, for the business, you know, for the business owner, whether whether it be a campus environment, you know, a, a school, a stadium, an arena, um, what we're doing is we're saving lives every day because our technology gets hands-on to that emergency faster. So we're making anyone that's coming into that venue or into that building safer. If there's an emer- if there's a medical emergency in a building, we're going to notify anyone that in that building that, hey, this is exactly where this emergency is happening. If, if you have a cardiac or code blue team, we're getting personnel to that emergency immediately. So we're not waiting for the police response. And, and if you think of you know, a school, all right, you have SROs, you have cardiac teams. So in a traditional 911 call, you have a 911 call, the police show up at the front door, they go to the emergency, they then call for the ambulance. With our technology now, they call from the phone. They say, I'm having a heart attack. As soon as that dispatcher types in medical emergency, we've just alerted everyone in that building that there's a medical emergency happening at this location, and we're routing the people to it. So we're going to have hands on that emergency before the police even arrive. Now, that's a double-edged sword. A lot of people say, we want the police to respond first. We don't want them walking into a situation. But you know, if you talk to any, any parent and... And you tell them that I can get emergency personnel to your son or your daughter five minutes faster, they'll opt for that every single time. You know, that's what we do. We, we cut down, we look at what the resources are available in that building, and we get them to that emergency faster. How do you yeah. get those notifications out to all of the uh, the staff with within that building? Is that like does that go out as a text message or uh, is it a loudspeaker announcement? Maybe, maybe it's all of those things. We can do notifications via text, email, which is not optimal, but some people do opt for email alerts. Screen pops, we can, you know, we can do alerting to the screens. We can do alerting on phones. We can do basically all, all means of communication we can send to that in, in that environment. And I, I can say with a thousand percent certainty, I, I have seen a thousand different customers and I've in a, been in a thousand different police departments. And I can tell you right now that I have not seen two do it the exact same way. Everyone's SOP is a little bit different. Everyone handles emergencies differently. And our system is designed to mimic that. So whatever their SOP is for this type of emergency, our system automatically puts it into play. We take that human intervention out. So, you know, you have schools now that, you know, they had a list law, uh, they have a list law panic button. But now they want to lock down the school. They now they're going back to the old way of paging over the intercom and, and doing that sort of thing. You know, with nine one one four, we do all of that automatically. So based on that threat level or based on that emergency, our system automatically takes effect and does what it has to do. And then we we continually monitor the you know situation. If you think of you know a traditional nine one one call from a teacher in a school, they're talking to a dispatcher. It's a one to one relationship at that point. With 911 Inform, as soon as that dispatcher receives that call, and we're alerting everyone else in that school saying, we're getting a 911 call from this classroom. We now text the SROs. We now text the security personnel that, hey, there's there, we just received a 911 call from the phone system at you know in this classroom. That dispatcher then clicks on a button on our console saying it's a medical emergency. Now, at that point, we anyone in that school that is CPR trained or part of the 
code blue team or cardiac team. Now they're getting a text saying, hey, we have an emergency here. So just going through the process, our technology, we're saving lives. And we're not only that, but we're also in that text communication, we're giving that police dispatcher more information. Now that person, that's the principal, that SRO that's responding, that gets that notification can respond back saying, I'm on my way, or I'm here, or giving information. And on their screen, they're collecting all, and they're seeing all that data in real time. Plus, they, they're viewing it through the camera. So if the 911 call is happening in, in view of a camera that's on site, we're giving them that image. So we're presenting them with that image so they can see it live. So you know, if you think about overall, it's remarkable what we're doing. I'm really, really proud of what the product that we've, we've come up with. Yeah, it sounds like you should be. It sounds pretty incredible. Every copreneur wants greater engagement for their business. Well, what if I told you that Seinfeld and Days of Our Lives will give you everything you need to make that happen? But what do soap operas and a sitcom about nothing have to do with marketing and sales? The answer is a lot. You've probably heard that your email list is the single greatest asset in your business. In fact, it typically will generate you $44 for every $1 spent. In order to maintain engagement, you should be emailing your list at least once per week. But what do you write about? Well, follow this formula and it will all come together. Your emails need to maintain the right balance between high drama, sales, and low drama, engagement or as I like to call them, soap opera emails and Seinfeld emails. I don't know about you, but I can sit and binge on episodes of Seinfeld for hours, but sit me in front of more than one episode of Days of Our Lives and I will probably throw the TV out the window. Your emails are no different. The bulk of your emails to your list should be Seinfeld emails. Low stakes, high value, and even entertaining with a soft sales pitch or none at all. But if you want to keep the relationship moving towards commitment, you have to toss in the occasional soap opera email and ask for the sale. After all, you are seeking a business relationship and to not ask for the sale would be disingenuous. Want some examples of how to engage your audience with Seinfeld and soap opera emails? You can subscribe to my own weekly email list at leotoceo.com forward slash subscribe. This chapter of the business brief is sponsored by leotoceo.com. Everything you need to start and grow your post-law enforcement business. I'm curious, what, what has been your experience with the adoption rate with these PSAPs and the dispatchers? Do you guys get pushback from them at all because it's just another thing to do, another system to interact with, and they're worried about the complication factor uh, as it relates to that. I mean, maybe that's a paradigm shift that just has to happen where you need to demonstrate for them that it's really not as as difficult as what they're thinking. What, what's been your experience with that? I mean, we, we've had great acceptance in the PSAP. When, when they see it, the problem is PSAP's and police and public safety in general is solicited every single day. They get a phone call with the next bigger, better deal that's always coming through. We're already in the PSAP store relationship with, with Rapid SOS. So when they see the technology that they have available to them, it's a different story. 
because we're not trying to sell them something. We're actually just showing something that you already have. So we have you know, a great take rate from the police on that. And then when we can show the dispatchers that traditionally now, if you have a police going into a camera system, they have to log on, right? They have to go into find out what the, you know, what the NVR is, log on to it. Half the time, the passwords don't work and that sort of thing. So, you know, we're presenting to them the information seamlessly without requiring a log on. If a dispatcher wants to send information to an MDT in a patrol car, they basically click on a down arrow, click on that car number or that officer, and within a second, he has access to it. So now he can take command and control. So it's just the ability of presenting the information and, and seamlessly giving them the tools to react to that emergency without having to use logons, without having to go to different screens. You know, we are a single pane of glass that they, they're getting all this information and everything's being displayed. So to answer your, you know, your question in a 10-minute run-on sentence, they love it. Once police see what we provide, they love it. And when they say, well, how much does this cost? And we're like, it's free. You get it for free. I mean, then that's that's the deal closer right there. Yeah, excellent. Well, let's talk about some use cases. Do you have any awesome use cases you can share with us, uh, some stories about implementation? Absolutely. The, the, the one that I'm most proud of, and this happened a, a couple of years ago, and I knew that our software would save lives. Uh, it happened in a town in New Jersey where a over summer uh, soccer practice, a girl had touched a bag that had peanuts on it. and She had a severe peanut allergy. She went into uh, the nurse's office. The coach told another student to go with her into the nurse's office. And this was over the summer break. When she arrived into the nurse's office, there was no one in that office. As soon as the they arrived there, her friend called 911. Our system notified and automatically sent out an alert to everyone within that school that there was a medical emergency because that 911 call happened from that nurse's office. That SRO that was on site arrived into the nurse's office within about 40 seconds and started giving aid, the EpiPen, to the girl. Her friend was still on the phone with dispatch, was still on the phone with 911 going through the process. The call came in on his radio three and a half minutes after he was already on site. So uh -huh. we took a situation where a girl was going to anaphylactic shock and we got emergency response on there three and a half minutes sooner than a traditional 911 call happened. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the greatest use case right now that, you know, that girl, thank God is alive. And, you know, and I like to think that we saved her life. We were the reason that she's alive today because of our technology no and, and in other use cases. I mean, you, you look at the shooting that just, you know, happened out in, in your neck of the woods with our ability. If you think of traditionally now, what happens is someone's in the parking lot with a weapon, they call 911. And then now that the police have to then reach someone at that building to try and lock it down or, you know, to stop them from gaining access in that building with our technology. As soon as they call 911, and they say, I see someone in the parking lot with a gun. The first thing that police dispatcher can do is lock down that building. And not only that, but we can do, can do lockdown windows, lockdown doors. So you stay away from the doors, you stay away from the windows. So we, and it automatically shuts down the building access. So just keeping that, that, that gunman 
you know, from not being able to walk into that building or not walk into that courtroom or not walk into that facility, just it, it saves lives and it, it keeps them in, in a choke point for a greater period of time, allowing police to get there or resources in the building or outside to get to them sooner. Yeah, it sounds like uh, de- definitely technology that I think everybody should have. Every business should have it. Uh, I-, I can kind of envision a-, a future here where this technology is able to just keep people safer. Like you said, it saves lives. It's a really good demonstration of how technology can intervene in ways and speed up. I would, I guess, I would say the process that we normally employ because like you said, in that case with the, the girl with the peanut allergy, I mean, there's anytime you add a human being to something, <laughs> we, we slow it down, right? I mean, we have to interact with this certain thing. We have to take the phone call. We have to put the information into the CAD system and put it out in the radio. And, you know, I don't want to replace human beings here and that's not what I'm getting at. My point is if we can leverage technology like this in order to automate some of that process in order to just get the notification out quicker and make things happen, whether that is a a radio notification, a text notification, or uh, locking down doors to a building. I mean, that, that time savings equates to saved lives. Yeah. The other example that, and unfortunately there's been a lot of cases where uh, the wrong address has been inputted and whether it be the Mm -hmm. caller on the phone saying, I'm here. And again, adrenaline's kicking in. They may say the wrong address. So with our technology, even though they're getting the address, they're putting the CAD, we're showing them where they're calling from. We're showing where that phone system is. We're showing them, you know, where they are in that building. And we're cutting down a lot of that human factor of possibly entering the address incorrectly. Instead of putting in 6401, they put in 4601. And that's literally two miles away from each other, those two addresses. Even though the, the caller may give them the wrong address, we're showing them where they are and saying, okay, well, we see that you're here in this hotel room at this building. Is that correct? Yes, it's correct. Well, you just gave me the wrong address. And think about going back to Carrie's Law, where the phone system in the hotel room had the wrong label on it. You know, Think of all the hotel rooms that have their you know, on those analog phones, they have the name and the address of the hotel on there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in that case, the address on that was wrong because they moved and they used the old phone. So the address was wrong. So if someone called and gave that address, the dispatcher would be responding to the wrong, dispatching to the wrong address with our technology, even though they're entering the wrong address, we're showing them, Hey, your call is coming up here at this location. So it's adding another, another factor for validating that address and where that caller is coming from. So tell me a little bit more about the genesis of this idea. I mean, was this, was this your idea or is, is this your brainchild or, or how okay. did this develop? <laughs> All right. I have to come clean. All right. So, and, and this is a true story. I own a, I own a company, Hunter Technologies. We're a government contractor. We've been doing work in, in police departments in, in, in uh, the Northeast and schools for 25 years. And four and a half years ago, I'm watching the Dateline episode on the school shootings with my wife. And in that episode, they said that 80% of the fatalities were from non-life-threatening gunshot wounds. And my wife turns to me and says, well, why is that? You do all the police and all the schools here. You know, why is that? And I'm like, I don't know. 
And I went out and started talking to all our police departments that, you know, we do work with and in, in talking to all the schools and looked at what was there. And, you know, there's notification platforms. There's, you know, there's, there's a lot of technology, but nothing gave the police what they needed to walk in. And th- think about the shootings in the past, in the days, you know, they would wait. And, and the SOP was, you know, you would, you would wait to you had the response in that building. You would not walk right. into a building blind, right? Yep. So I went back to my wife and said, there's nothing out there that gives the police a visual inside that building, the ability to a- enter the building from any access point, uh, the ability to page or, you know, it just everything they needed to to save lives, they didn't have. And she goes, well, you need to fix it. So basically uh, on the, the charge of my wife telling me that I had to fix this problem, we started developing 911 Inform four and a half years ago. Where I am the founder and CEO, but the uh, like any good company, there's a woman behind it that started it or drove it. Amen <laughs> to, to that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> My wife will be very happy that I gave her the credit in this podcast. It, it sounds like she deserves it, <laughs> so we'll we'll give her the credit. Well, that, that's debatable. That's debatable, but we, we won't go there. <laughs> Nice. So tell me a little bit more about your background. How did you end up, how did you end up getting into government contracting and, and uh, developing your business? What did, what did that look like for you? Well, we've been doing the public safety side in the Northeast for a very long time. I, I liked it because the government side and the police, as opposed to corporate clients, when you enter into a contract with a municipality or police department, you can pretty much guarantee when you're getting paid right? You know, you have a purchase order, you can pretty much set your watch of when you're going to get paid. Plus with the police departments, there's a higher level of technology use, which I like, you know, I like the challenge. We focused on 24 hour support at Hunter corporate clients after five o'clock, you're doing work for a bank anytime after five o'clock, there's nothing happening. We liked the public safety side of things at Hunter Technologies. We're a 24 hour company providing support and it kind of just gravitated, you know, we were good at it. So, and like all government contracts, once you do one successfully, the word spreads. So we do one municipality, one police department, and then they would tell another one about how good, you know, how good the technology was. So it just kind of evolved in in the early days of with Hunter Technologies, we were probably 60, 40 commercial government, but, you know, as it progressed, we're now about 80% government contracts and about 20% commercial. And it was that looking at everything that we do in the Northeast for the public safety that led us to develop 911 and form. What's in store for the future of 911 then? Do you have ideas for how this technology evolves and, and, and develops and any future integrations? Oh yeah, we have, I don't want to even call them programmers because they're gurus at what they do. They, they've taken my vision and made it feasible. And where we are now with the technology, and not, and not just with 911 Inform, but the whole public safety is, is evolving. It's our mission to be the leader in the space. And we're already developing technology and we're releasing technology that you would think is going to come three or four years down the road. We are looking at everything that's in that building down to the smallest device and talking to it. You think of the Apple watch talking to the phone. 
So 911 form is that is that same methodology. We're we, we're talking to everything in that building. The days of 911 is is right now is a reactionary event, right? Someone calls 911 when they see something happens. We want to have the AI to look at what's happening on camera or pick up that event from that sensor or listen to that event and basically calculate that, hey, this is becoming a threat level. This is going to be an emergency and basically present it to the PSAP so they can have situational awareness before it becomes a problem. So the whole industry, I think, is going to go through a paradigm shift of being reactionary to proactive in, in how we handle emergencies. And 911 Inform, it's our job to be that leader in, in bringing that data and giving that actionable data to the, to the PSAPs. I could easily see some integration with a system like Shot Caller, for example, and detecting uh, gunshots or, you know, integration, integrating together with programs like the DFR programs that we've talked about a lot on this show, drones as first responders and getting those first eyes on scene from the air, if you will. I mean, my brain is kind of just churning with all these different ways of being able to tie together your technology to create a more, I was going to say a more complete system. And and, and I don't mean that to say that what you have is not complete. I just mean ways to create a larger ecosystem, uh, a net, if you will, of public safety. Well, yeah. And, and, and that's our, that's our mission. The single pane of glass to the PSAP right now, you have a lot of great companies out there doing a lot of specific things from the the shot detection, weapon detection, audio shot, you know, detection. I mean, there's a lot of different companies that are doing a lot of different things. And it's about getting that information to the appropriate person as quickly as possible. A A lot of these companies that are out there have call centers. This will go in, they detect something, it goes to the owner of that building or it goes to the call center, then they have to call uh, or they have to have, you know, they have to look at it. With our technology, and we interface with a lot of companies that do this. And what we're doing is we're taking that input and we're presenting it to the PSAP in our single pane of glass, showing them the light, not only showing them the image that, that took it and, and the photograph, but we're also showing them live footage so they can actually see what's happening in that area and what's going on. All of that technology we interface with, I think we're over 40 or 50 integrations now where we're taking technology and we're passing it along. And again, it's about speed, about speed of action. If you take an input and it has to go to someone or in that building to decide whether it's a threat or not, you just added minutes to that response time. What we're doing is we're presenting to the police and then we're showing them the live data the cameras, the, the audio, they can listen. What's happening in that building in real time, it's a game changer. And it's just, it's evolving every day. You know, a lot of these companies are coming out with, just think of all the AI that's coming out now for public safety, where, you know, you have these companies that are looking at this camera footage all the time. Okay, well, they, it detects something. Now, what are you going to do with it? Does it go to the owner of the building? Does it go to a call center somewhere? Then they have to call someone for validation. With the AI now, it's just uh, we consider this a threat at a certain level that we're going to send it to the PSAP. We're going to let them make the decision. We're going to let someone that deals with emergencies every single day, let them make the decision. We're working with a couple different companies in when we receive that location of the XY coordinates, we're sending those coordinates to the drill. So this way you'll have 
the eyes on site automatically, which is harder than you think because the F, you know, the, the FAA doesn't like to give autonomous drone operation to a lot of people. That's, that's the biggest challenge there, but it's changing. It's evolving. That's what we're doing. We're on the forefront of changing this technology. Incredible. Well, do you have anything, Ivo, for either for closing thoughts or anything that you wanted to cover on the show today that we didn't get a chance to cover? No, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, I think we covered a lot. I think the, the main thing is this entire market is changing as, as all industries in, in technology in this day and age, things are changing rapidly. And I think traditionally, public safety has lagged behind in a lot of the technology in a lot of areas. And our mission at 911 Forum is to bring all that technology seamlessly and easily into the police. If you give the police something that will save lives, but is very complicated and time consuming to use, it's never going to get used. You know, it's about presenting the data seamlessly to the right people at the right time. And that's, and that's where we're going. That's what we're built on. And that's where we're heading. Excellent. Well, why don't you let everybody know how they can connect with you if anybody wants a demo or they just want to find out more information or maybe they just want to connect and hang out with you on LinkedIn. <laughs> Tell everybody how they can <laughs> yeah. how they can find you. How do they get a hold of you? 911inform.com. Uh, that's the easiest way on there. We have demos online. We have a great team out of Colorado, our office out in uh, Castle Rock, that, that we are literally doing demo after demo every single day. What I like to tell everyone, there's a lot of people out there that, are, that talk about solutions. With 911 Reform, you have to see it in operation, see the speed of it, and see what it does to really appreciate what we have here. So if we go to 911 Reform or go into LinkedIn, follow us on LinkedIn under 911 Reform, that's the best way. All right. Well, everybody, as always, uh, I will have links to everything that we discussed here on the show today in the show notes for this episode. This is episode 31. So you can just go to psi.chat forward slash 031 and find all of those resources there, as well as how you can connect with Ivo. Ivo, thanks for being on the show today. This was an excellent discussion. I'm excited to, uh, to see your product in action and see it get adapted uh, nationwide. Adam, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at psi.chat forward slash review. I would love to hear your feedback and it will also help other public safety innovators like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to psi.chat, click on episodes, and search this episode number and you'll find all the links, descriptions, and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.